Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. I had the best time interviewing Nick Hornby. I have been a fan of his forever and ever, as probably many of you have as well. Nick is the author of seven other best-selling novels, including High Fidelity, about a boy, and a long way down, as well as several works of nonfiction. Many of his books have been turned into successful films and TV series. He has been Oscar-nominated twice for his screenplays of An Education and Brooklyn. His 10-part short-form TV series, State of the Union, directed by Stephen Frears, has recently been broadcast by the Sundance Channel and the BBC and has won three Emmys. He currently lives in London. Welcome, Nick. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest book, Just Like You. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) In a way, it is just like me because I got divorced when I was, I guess, 30 nine and I'm now remarried, but I was a single woman for a a minute, (laughs) just a minute back in the day. I didn't end up with Joseph, but you know, I did end up with someone younger. So anyway. Yes, this is the book for you. So this is the book for me. You have found your audience. But I also have to say that yesterday, as I was, uh, as I just told you, I had this, I was in the hospital for one thing or another, and I was very stressed out and I still had the end of your book to read. So I would pull it out of my bag. And after I was like, oh, you know, like so worried, I pulled it out. Next thing you know, I'm like in the waiting room, hysterically laughing. And I'm like, this is so bad. (laughs) And now, and then I was embarrassed looking around at the people who weren't laughing. And I was like, oh no, maybe I should just put it back in my bag. (laughs) Yeah, actually you made me look bad. (laughs) 
It's, it's like, well, what, uh, but you made yourself look bad, certainly, but you made me look bad too, I think. Like, yes. You're laughing away while your son's having a procedure. Yeah. <laughs> but you, I mean, you are so funny. I love your sense of humor. That's like dry, very dark, kind of funny. Oh my gosh. I just, I just eat it all up. It's hilarious. So. Oh, thank you. So. You are so accomplished. So many of my favorite books about a boy. Oh my gosh, all this stuff. Just like you, why did you write this book? Why this? Why at this time in your career? Why now? Give me the whole spiel. Well, it literally started with me watching someone in a shop, a guy and a, a girl, and the guy was older and, and the girl was of color, you know, she, she, a, a young black woman. And and they had something going on. They had a little flirt. And all the way home, I thought, why can't those people get together? What are the obstacles? Because I knew they were not going to get together. But what are the obstacles? And and so I started to think about them, about age and race and class and thinking of inventive ways in which they could be overcome should these people wish to do so. But it got parked there, you know, for two or three years. It, it, I could see that it might be fun to write, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And then when we had our Brexit referendum and it felt like one side of the country would never speak to the other again, I mean, you in America have experienced something similar, I thought, oh, well, maybe this is the time to write a book about difference and apartness. And I guess the idea I started with is that face-to-face confrontations, political confrontations, cannot you cannot resolve anything if you just get in each other's faces and shout at each other, and that there has to be a way around the back. And most of us have a way around the back with people, whether it's our kids or our sports teams or whatever it is, you can always find common ground. And, and the stuff that divides us can be temporarily forgotten. So it seemed like fertile ground to try and write the novel and I didn't have to predict what was going to happen it was really just about those few months before and after the referendum interesting yeah and of course you introduce this with the sign in the store and should the sign say one thing and then I guess it's Mark yeah. the store owner is like well I'll just put up the other one then they're like what you can't just like switch it <laughs> what <laughs> like what is your point of view you know yeah, that, yeah. that was pretty funny and I I was I became increasingly frustrated with my own side during the Brexit referendum that, you know, I voted to remain to be a part of Europe, which in your country is like voting for Hillary in 2016. And the kind of smugness and rush of my own team began to repel me. It's like you're never going to persuade anyone by just telling them they're stupid over and over and over again. And one of the funniest things about the referendum, I thought, was that the day after it happened, I got tons of emails from people who were trying to start a petition to have the vote overturned. And I was thinking, well, they they were saying, like, we've already got one million signatures. I said, yeah, but you need 17 million signatures (laughs) because that's how many people voted for the other way. So if you get up to 17 or 18, let me know and I'll sign my name. (laughs) But the idea that one million signatures is meaningful in some way when 18 million people have just voted the, voted the other way, I just wanted to throttle people. And they, they said, why won't you sign the petition? So because it's not democratic. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. And you have all these mass generalizations like, well, did you vote this way or do you? Well, my parents did, but they live in Kent and like, you just like leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It does. It did become some sort of a, of a shorthand of, of, in a way, right? People trying to figure each other yes. out very quickly. Yeah, a, a whole kind of mind, you know, it, it, we judge people on mindsets and geography all the time. Mm-hmm. It's true. Or, you know, where they went to school. My yeah. husband, who is not from, I'm from New York City, and he grew up in Florida. And when he moved here, you know, with me, everybody would ask him, like, where'd you go to school? And he's like, why does everybody ask? He's like, I don't know. I went to, like, Venice High. Like, nobody's ever asked me that before. And no, I'm like, no, it's how people figure good. you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we have, I guess, an equivalent in England, which is our private school, state school, Mm-hmm. system and yes. you know there's this shocking fact that two schools in England have provided something like 50 prime ministers <laughs> between them two schools and you know if anyone asked me where I went to school it's like I tell you you've never heard of it so let's <laughs> just move on I'm sure your husband feels the same way yes he's like enough of this I don't get yeah. it wait there was I probably won't be able to find it but there was that whole section in this book about when she goes on the on the dinner to the dinner party and he wants to know or his kids wait now I'm getting it all wrong but she was so funny she's didn't she say I just want somebody who says you know I don't send my kids to your school because it's full of like psychopaths and I would never yes, yes, she's yes. like I will date him no matter what he's like if he says that yeah that's her first like blind blind date internet date or she set up uh, yeah. he says something about private school and she wishes people were honest about why they sent people to private school I think yeah. that's that's part of your sense of humor in all these scenes is like the thing that isn't being said you just like make it be said so that it's very uncomfortable <laughs> yeah I, I think that's the great thing about fiction is that you can set up the scene and the people as realistically as you possibly can but then you can just cross the line into making it explicit and have way more fun than anyone would have in real life. <laughs> and that's Lucy's whole approach to dating too. And now yes. she's like, she's like, oh, I'm never going to see these guys again. So I might as well just say like, oh yeah, it didn't work out with your ex. Why? How is your sex life? She's like, why yes. not? You know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it just made me laugh so much. I also liked, what term did you use to describe Joseph's job? What did you call it? I have to look it up. But how, like so many people these days, you don't just have yeah. one job. Yeah, yeah. It's a portfolio. Yes, a portfolio strategy to to a yeah. career and how he's yeah. sort of a DJ, but really he's a babysitter or he works at the bunch of club. Uh, and, yeah. and he coaches kids. And yeah, coaches. yeah. I wonder if that will happen more and more as we go through all this, yeah. I found that too, hiring for a while. I was like, well, people would say, how many people are like helping you run your business and all this stuff? And I'm like, well, kind of seven, but everybody has another job. (laughs) Everybody does everything. So it seems like a pretty great thing while you're finding your way in life, actually, not to get too bored in one thing, because typically when you're starting out in your twenties, you do pretty bad jobs. And if you can switch one bad job to another bad job (laughs) in terms of repetitiveness and not being able to make your own decisions if you can limit the time in that my my son is my 19 year old is currently working in a football club uh, in the ticket office and I I, I, I saw on Instagram you were like my son works (laughs) in the ticketing office and you're like oh yeah it's right there on his shirt (laughs) I, I said to him how was it he said I had to send out 2,400 emails 
And I said, that's, you know, that, that's the job we all did. You know, there isn't a job where you tell people to send out 2,400 emails when you're 19. I'm afraid you have to go through that. Yeah, of course, when I was 19, there barely were emails, but that's okay. I'll, uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Like you got barely in because when I was 19, <laughs> I think there were stamps. <laughs> I think they'd been invented, but that was about all. We had to go to one place on campus. There was like one center we could go to do email. Yeah. I was, I was reminiscing with a friend the other day about how we used to get music tickets, which was to send a stamped address envelope off to some place and then maybe you would and you had to get a postal order because I didn't have a checkbook you had to get a postal order from the post office then get two stamps one so they could send it back and and I was thinking that one of the offshoots of that is that you get a lot of people at concerts who don't really want to go to that concert but it was easy to buy the ticket because it was like one click on on something or other (laughs) and and, uh, and I missed that because, like, when I looked around at the concerts I went to when I was a teenager, I looked at the other people. I, I always thought they really wanted to be here. They all mm-hmm. sent off their stamped addressed envelopes. <laughs> they so showed funny. commitment. It's true. You're just like, well, maybe I'll go. I might as well. Yeah. If not, somebody, I just put it on the resale thing and then sell it off again. Somebody once told me that the shows that are advertised like one year in advance, you know, like a big show in Madison Square Garden next summer, that quite often the front row is empty because the first people who bought the tickets forgot that they bought them. <laughs> it's just incredible. And, and they quite often do it drunk late at night as well. That's why I have my settings to remind me of things like this. Yeah. yeah. Apparently yeah. stand-up comedy is particularly affected by I that. I could see that. I could see that. <laughs> Yeah, my calendar is like, this was the, you know, Jojo Siwa thing you got for your daughter in the middle of the pandemic. It's back on tomorrow night. I was like, well, I'm not doing that. What are you talking about? <laughs> I it's barely want to. Pandemic's been great for spending money on tickets. And you think, what happened to that? Because they postponed it. I don't know if they paid me back. They told right. me it was going to be reorganized. I, I, I'm quite happy to give money to musicians, but it's the right mess right now. Yes, it's true. Sorry, this is getting off the subject, of course. Yeah, I know, of course, but yeah. Okay, the subject. So your book. <laughs> the other thing that was so funny was when you were had the two ladies talking, right? You do friendship so well. And the Lucy, who just tells it like it is, and her annoying sort of blonde friend who follows her around. Uh, yeah, yeah. And how she is so into, and this is, you know, a scene from the start, but how she's so into her love life, right? Like, okay, well, are you, you know, do you think you're going to have sex tonight? Do you think, you know, what's going to happen? And she's like, well, I don't know. Like, what about your husband? And she's like, oh, well, we can't talk about my husband. She's like, why not? She's like, well, we've been married for 30 years. And she's like, well, then why do you get to talk about who I'm going to have sex with? And she's like, oh, come on. It's not the same. It's like single people are fair game. They provide vicarious pleasure to the rest of the world. So funny. And also, I mean, you have the poignant stuff in here too, like having alcoholism and drug addiction, all of that, like come roaring back. And what is it like to be the child of an alcoholic? And, you know, you're sort of, you take it more, you take it less from the boy's perspective and more from Joseph and the mom when you, when one, during their first interaction, the dad shows up sort of drunk and ruins the whole night and everything. And you have the boys finding out and they're like, no, no, they know, they know what he's like, but it's hard to just be so, not that it was flip, but from there, if they were writing this book, you know, what would it be for them? Right the effect of having this type of parent, what happens then? Yeah. I guess with kids, it depends on which day you're asking them. Yes. Most of the time, I think they would rather be flip 
and not think about it very much. And then, of course, on some occasions where it becomes overwhelming, then they they would maybe want to splurge or get upset. But in, in my experience, then if you're living through extreme circumstances, you reorganize everything pretty quickly. So they're no, no longer extreme. They're just part of the fabric of your life. True. I do feel like there are many sort of personality hits you take if you have a, a parent like that that may come out sort of later, right? It doesn't... Yeah, who knows? Who knows? With, with everything in parenting, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I often wonder what my kids will be talking about on a therapist's couch when they're 40, because I know they will be, and it will probably be something I did or their mum did, or, you know, hopefully their mum, not me. <laughs> but um, I, I, I remember being very struck once by talking about my grandfather, who I never met, to a friend who also had a grandfather she'd never met, and thinking, wow, this is, if, if these guys knew that some 60 years later, two people would be standing outside a restaurant in North London talking about them when they didn't even know we existed. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's the way that family runs through you and affects you in ways that no one could possibly predict is, is kind of kind of great as well because you do stay alive, I think. Even if you've never done anything, you stay alive in people's minds. Speaking of grandparents, you had this really funny scene when Cassie is talking to Joseph and she's trying to, they both work at the butcher shop and she's trying to ask him about if he has ever dated, he's black. And she's asking, has he ever been with somebody who's white? And she's like trying to dance around it so she doesn't offend him or something, but he didn't, he just like wouldn't let her get away with that. And finally, he's, finally she says, he says, how am I supposed to know? Would you go out with a white girl? Why don't you ask me whether I have gone out with a white girl? Oh, have you? Of course I have. And did anyone like disapprove? Yeah, her granddad. Was he a racist? No, he was a vegan. Didn't like me working here. Really? No, he was a racist. <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh out loud. Because you know, he just like calls it out, right? And the poor girl, you can just feel her mortification and everything. But Yeah, it's the tiptoeing around that's so hard, you know, and, and, and we've all done it about gender and sexuality and race. And, you know, I think it's good that we're having to learn the language and 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 find the ways in which we are not offensive because so frequently especially people of my age you know we've sort of blundered on for years and I think this is a great time of putting it all out on the table and people telling us we don't want you to call us this or we don't want you to call us that and I find that incredibly helpful. Have you gotten any you know, pushback. I know there's sort of a movement in fiction to, in today's culture. Is it okay to write from a point of view that is not your own, right? You're, this book yeah. is a 22-year-old black man and a 41 or 42-year-old white woman, neither of which you obviously are. Yeah. Is it okay to write from their points of view? And how do you feel about that? Has it? Well, I, no one said anything to my face about it. I don't know what goes on online or anything like that. I don't look. But, you know, I live in London, which is this big multicultural city. And I kind of would fight for the right to write about what I see when I look through the window. And if someone's telling me, well, you can't see that, you can't see that, you can't do that. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'd have to pack it in, actually. 
You know, it's like I, I, I've got nothing left. My first two or three books were about guys like me, mm-hmm. a bit like me. Yeah. And as my career's gone on, I think I've got nothing left to say about guys like me. So I'm going to write about other people. And it's helped keep my career alive and fresh. But I, I, I think it's impossible to write movies or TV or fiction unless you're given the permission to imagine what it's like to be somebody else. I mean, you know, I can't take a position where, for a start, I can't write about half the human race, which is women. That seems to me an absurd position to end up in. I agree. Yes. But you do it quite well, I must say. (laughs) Well, I took advice. I mean, I've always taken advice. And I think that's the best thing you can do is, is imagine as carefully as you can what it would be like to be this person and then let somebody who is as close as you can find to being like that person, reading the book and 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 saying, well, I'm not sure it's like this or I'm not sure it's like that. Although even that's a dangerous game because you're presuming that one or two or four women can speak on behalf of hundreds of millions of women. And uh, so you, ha- you have to take that with a pinch of salt as well. It's true. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Many of your other books have gone on to become 
something in the visual arena, movies, et cetera. What, when you're sitting down to write, like for this book, for example, do you see it in your head kind of playing out like a movie or does it, like, do you see things visually or is it, does it matter to you where it ends up as long as you get it down on the page? Like, what is your relationship these days to how things are depicted and what medium? Well, I think I see things visually because that's the kind of writing I want to do. I mean, I think there are there are probably two kinds of writers in this sense, which is that some writers want to provide a clear pane of glass through which you can see the characters and the narrative that they've created. And there are other writers who are much more interested in language. And, um, and so they are drawing attention to the glass rather than what's beyond the glass. And I know I'm the kind of writer who creates the, the or wants to create the clear pane of glass. So if that's what you do, then of course you see things visually when you write. That doesn't mean necessarily that it has a relationship with TV or movies. I mean, for a start, one of the problems with TV and movies is that everyone who is an actor is better looking than the rest of us. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's true. That is the definition of a movie star. <laughs> if, if you're not better looking than the rest of us, you're a character actor. But the big ones are all good looking. That's the first qualification for the job. And if they can act as well, then they're really valuable. <laughs> So, you know, I'm writing these books which are about, you know, the people I sort of know and the people I've seen, and they don't look like Hugh Grant or John Cusack. So when the movies are made, I think, whoa, <laughs> that, guy, that guy wasn't who I was thinking of, but that's what has to happen. You know, that if you want the movie, you have to have the movie star. I mean, is John Cusack that good looking, you think? I don't know. Well, I think that... If John Cusack were having a drink in a pub, you'd notice him, don't you I mean, think? I, I've in, never in, seen him in real life, but yeah. In I mean, 1990, whenever we made that movie, 1999, if there were like a load of guys standing at the bar and one of them was John Cusack, I think you'd pick him out. I think you're probably right. Yeah. And Colin certainly Firth. if he was certainly if he was holding the boombox over his head yeah. still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I definitely, you know, call, what's I can't even find my words today. Motion him over or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so when you're writing, do you do it like where do you write? Do you write where you're sitting right now? Like what's your process like? No, what's I'm on your holiday setup? at the moment. I have a, a a studio apartment out of the home, which I probably have no need of anymore because it it came from a time when the kids were small and School days are really short, and, and so I needed to go somewhere where I could do a day's work without people getting in my face. So I, it's a short walk to work, and and I do everything in there like a nine-to-five. And then you're able to just leave it? Or does it sit with you all night and you're, like, mulling it all over? I don't think you can ever leave it. I think it's a, a peril of the profession. I think there's not really a lot of difference between your waking moments and your trying to get to sleep moments. You're doing the same thing all day, which is you're not really doing anything physical. You're not writing. And that, it's always the thing I've struggled with with writing is that if you write a thousand words a day, you're, you're having a good day. That, that's a decent chunk. But if you copied out a thousand words from another book, that would take you about 15 minutes. You see what I mean? So the difference between 
actual writing and what goes on for the rest of the day is, is I think, the hardest thing to manage as a writer. And that's why you've got to be careful with YouTube and phone calls and emails and live news. You know, with like the pandemic and elections and things, if you've got constant access to a computer and you're feeling vaguely anxious about the world, you're refreshing every couple of minutes. So, you know, when I'm being really disciplined, I use an app that blocks you out of your own internet. And also, I quite often have a jigsaw puzzle on the go because you can't really get stuck with a jigsaw. You just kind of plod on. And if you can't find this bit, you work on another bit and you make kind of easy, slow progress. But you're not thinking about it. And and so it doesn't take me out of the mindset of the world that I'm trying to think about. Whereas if I'm watching 1980s highlights of my football team, which is the other thing that happens uh, on YouTube, I am out of the world of the book. I mean, the way you describe doing a jigsaw puzzle could also be the way you describe writing a book, right? If yeah. one part's not working, you go to another part and you plot yeah. on. And, you know, I'm you not very through. good about going to the other part. If it's not right, I can't go on. So I've not, I've, I've not never written a book or a screenplay unconsecutively. When I'm stuck, I'm stuck. I don't move on. Oh, okay. I'm not saying it's a good idea. <laughs> no, I find that interesting. My daughter had the same thing yesterday. She's like, I can't figure out this math problem. Should I just move on to language arts? And I was like, I don't know. This is the big question. <laughs> right? Do you keep trying to bang your head against the math or do you want to take a break? Anyway, yeah, she, she moved I, on, but she then she went back. In case you're and I've often found actually that when you can't move on, it's because something's wrong further back. You know, it's like you've got a bad shoulder because... You're, you have lower back problems, you know, it's that sort of thing. And and quite often, if you've run out of road in a book or a screenplay, it's because you took a wrong turn further back. Hmm. Love it. Very interesting. Okay, what, what project comes after this? Well, it's quite a busy year. I've got some things that are sort of done and ready to be read or seen. So in a couple of weeks, I've got a TV show on AMC Sundance called State of the Union. That's the second season. The first season was with Rosamund Pike and Chris O'Dowd. And the setup is it's the 10 minutes that a couple spend before they go into marital therapy. So you never go into the room with them. And when we were talking about the season two, I thought, I'm done with that couple's problems. I'd now like to write about a different set of problems. So this season, it's Patricia Clarkson and Brendan Gleeson. So it's much further on in life and actually the stakes are higher I think at that age so that's that's coming out in mid-feb I've just written a very short book about Prince and Dickens as in Prince the musician and Dickens the writer I thought so. <laughs> uh, and it's about creativity they, they were kind of the most creative people that I've ever consumed at least hmm. stuff just poured out of them and it's about what they had in common and what happened to them as a result of being over creative you know they both died as it were within six months of each other if they'd been born in the same year uh, neither of them made it to 60 I think work probably killed them both movies were, uh, were a big part of their careers even though Dickens never knew about it until the 20th century they both had terrible childhoods, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm kind of switching between these people to find out mm. about the key to intense creativity. And at, right at the moment, I'm, I'm adapting two books that I love, one for TV and one for movies. One's called Wild Game 
by Adrienne Broder. Oh my gosh, I loved that game. And I love Adrienne Broder. She is amazing. I've worked with her on Aspen Words and everything. I love her. I loved that book so much. Well, I I think it would make a fantastic movie. I'm so excited you're doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, it is exciting. And and I'm working with a really great director on it. And and then the other book I'm adapting for a TV series is um, Meg Mason's Sorrow and Bliss. I don't know if you've oh, read yes. that. Oh, yes. That was also amazing. I loved that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm so lucky because they're like my two favorite books of the last 12 months or whatever, and I, I'm I'm working on both of those. I still picture those characters in Meg Mason's book, like sitting on that couch. You know how they were all in that room for so long, sitting yes. on a tiny little love seat and like watching? Yes, and, yes. Oh, my gosh. Wow, those are great books. Amazing. Yeah, wow. really good books. Yeah. And I, ca- I cannot say that you'll ever see them because the, it's a very perilous profession, but I'm enjoying doing them. Well, I can't wait. I hope I hope to see them, but fantastic. Wow. Okay, last question. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? It's so basic, but I think people do forget. You have to read and you have to write. You have to read a lot. Uh, you have to read... For two reasons, you have to read to find out what sort of stuff is being published, what sort of stuff has already been published, and 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 because you need to find out what good writers do. I mean, I think the more you consume, the better you get at it. It was something that was very clear, actually, in the Prince and Dickens research that I was doing, that they were both unbelievable consumers of stuff. And I that, that Malcolm Gladwell thing about 10,000 hours of practice... I'm not sure it always works, but I do think 10,000 hours of consumption gets you quite a long way. And, you know, lots of young writers are asking me about how to get an agent and how to get a publisher, and that is not the problem. The problem is writing something that anyone (laughs) wants to publish. If you write something good, you don't need to worry about the agent and the publisher. That will take care of itself. I think the simplest advice is, you know, like if you've got a job or you're a student or whatever it is you're doing, if you can manage 500 words a day, which is two long paragraphs, if you think about that, then in 160 working days, you'll have a novel-length book. I mean, it's pretty incredible. That, that That's within everybody's grasp, I would say. You don't have to work weekends. It's, you know, so you can get a book finished in a year even if you're doing other stuff and not by staying way on into the night. But I think the thing about writing every day and writing a decent piece every day is, is really, really important. And, and not to leave things too long because you between paragraphs or between, you can't leave something for a month and expect to pick it up straight away, I don't think. You need to be in a groove. Love it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been so fun. And it's fun just, for me. Thank you, Zibi. It's been really wonderful. I can't wait to see and read the rest and figure out the commonality between <laughs> Prince and Dickens. And, uh, yeah, well, and, I'll come back on and we can talk about it. I would love it. Perfect. All right. Great. Okay. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.